You might not be surprised to hear, but TMZ launched into our consciousness with a car crash. It was the early hours of November 9th, 2005, and Paris Hilton was leaving a nightclub with her boyfriend, Greek shipping heir Stavros Niarchos. TMZ cameras were rolling, a preview of what was to come over the next decade. It's just after 2.30 a.m. Wednesday in Hollywood. There's a whole crew getting into a silver Bentley, including Rod Stewart's daughter and a Laguna Beach star. Paris is wearing a going-out top, and her short blonde hair is pulled back into pigtails with a sparkly headband. She's been famous for a couple of years. Her reality show, The Simple Life, premiered back in December of 2003. Stavros shields himself with a jacket, then suddenly makes a very dangerous move. He basically speeds the car into a crowd of people, then absolutely guns it out of the parking lot. The TMZ cameras are close behind and appear to catch them at a stop with Niarko saying to Paris the amazingly cliché, Baby, I'm carrying myself. Predictably, they get pulled over by the cops. Stavros seems unsteady. As far as we could see, the two officers never conducted a field sobriety test. The TMZ camera records the Laguna Beach star, Talon Torriero, saying that he's the only sober one in the car. And then TMZ shows cops letting Paris and her friends go. Thank The guy who took the video for TMZ was technically an assistant to a man named Harvey Levin, a former local legal correspondent and the executive producer of the recently canceled show Celebrity Justice. Levin was the head of a website that technically didn't exist yet. TMZ, a slightly amorphous new digital media project, wasn't supposed to launch until the next month. Here's Jillian Sheldon, who was TMZ's publicist at the time and a supervising producer, talking about the office reaction to the video. And I remember in the morning, we all watched it and we were like, oh my God, Um, you know, we were laughing like, what do we do? TMZ was the corporate baby of AOL and Telepictures, an arm of Warner Brothers. The initial idea for the site was to capitalize on all the archival footage of celebrities that the studio had and maybe mix it in with longer stories and columns about the industry. Jillian described them to me as New Yorker-style stories. But Harvey Levin was a news hound and a lawyer. He had different ideas for the site. And the fact that he had some juicy footage that showed not just celebrities misbehaving, but the police not doing their job, was just too good to pass up. We had a website. It was working. We were, you know, our, um, it was built on a really clunky CMS content management system where you know, only a couple people knew how to really use it. But then we were like, you know what? We could just put this on our website. And that was such a, that we were like, oh, wait, yeah, we have this video player. They threw the video up on the website and waited to see what would happen. The internet was about to blow open the world of media and tabloids. The gatekeepers of print would soon be shaking in their Prada. The era of red carpet glam was ending, and TMZ was ushering in one that would focus on Hollywood grime. Celebrity News had just entered a new chapter. I'm Claire Malone, and from The Ringer, this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that changed America. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. 
You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. How did TMZ come to be the three letters you type into your internet browser the moment you hear about a celebrity death. Figuring out a name of a a thing um, is hard, especially when you have two very, very large media conglomerates. In 2005, AOL and Telepictures Productions' Celebrity Media Project still needed a catchy name. Early employees spent a lot of time brainstorming. Jillian remembers sitting on the porch of her old apartment, drinking wine and batting ideas back and forth. Names like Behind the Velvet Rope were too long. Others were too eat your vegetables. The other option was pop salad. And the thought was that the the visual graphic would be a salad, a bowl of salad with, you know, faces of Paris Hilton and Britney Spears and, you know, celebrities popping up out of the salad. Um... I, for one, was not a fan of pop salad for a variety of reasons. As Jillian remembered it, one of the early editors was an old Hollywood buff, and he brought up the concept of the 30-mile zone. Union workers would not pay for travel beyond a 30-mile radius centered at Beverly and La Cienega. That 30-mile zone was a cool reference with a convenient abbreviation, TMZ. And it got at the idea that the site would be covering all manner of action in the greater Hollywood zone. All they needed to do was secure the domain. The only problem was, the guy who owned it wasn't cooperating. So, legend has it that Harvey went to this person's house, um, said he was going to go to the person's house with a check. And um, he had just gotten a new, very fancy car and did not want to drive said fancy car to the house because he did not want the owner of the website to uh, think that we had more money than 
we did. So he borrowed an intern's car, which was like some, uh, I don't know, Honda, Datsun, like, you know, it was a car driven by an intern, a young person. And Harvey made the deal. That seems about the right kind of Harvey Levin lore to have spread. A University of Chicago-trained lawyer, Levin had been ensconced in the telepictures world after years of on-air legal reporting. He covered the O.J. Simpson trial for a local L.A. station and got his own legal show, Celebrity Justice. Jillian Sheldon worked with Levin on Celebrity Justice, and when it got canceled and the project that would become TMZ manifested itself, Levin asked her to stay on. I did not care about dot-com, digital at all. I was like, I I didn't understand it. I was like, TV, that's the holy grail. No one cared about digital back then, including Levin. To this day, he seems more enthralled by the TV component of his organization than the digital one. Harvey called me afterwards and was like, I don't want to do this without you. And I said, well, I don't want to do this without you. We were very close. Um, And he said, okay, well, we'll just do this. And And I thought, okay, I'll do this for six months. This won't go anywhere. Who's going to want to watch old interviews with celebrities that either as kids or whatever, or old red carpet interviews? There was some sense that Harvey had the right skills to make the project work. He was driven, infamously so, and had established himself as a person who could throw together low-budget, compelling TV segments. The idea was that Harvey and company would use the valuable video archive that Telepictures owned and turn it into digital content. That's sort of vague, but then, of course, have you seen most media startups? Pretty much no one knows what they're doing. TMZ at least had money. The small staff got to work. My name is Dax Holt. Um, I worked at TMZ from, like, 2005 to 2016, I think. Um, It was my first job out of college. You might recognize Dax from TMZ's televised offerings, which basically show the site's editorial meetings in action. To this day, Harvey Levin runs the irreverent, some might say bitchy, gatherings, wearing tight t-shirts that show off his toned physique. I graduated like on a Friday and started at TMZ on a Monday and worked my way up, started, um, you know, as a PA and then kind of took over the photo department and became the person that would look through all the paparazzi photos every day and Whatever I would find interesting, I would pitch out to the room. The alchemy that would make TMZ a clickbait powerhouse was in some ways the youth of the staff and Levin's relative old age. He cultivated Hollywood's lawyers and trained his reporters to comb through even the most banal legal filings to spin them into a juicy celebrity story. And Levin's young staff were hungry workaholics who also partied hard and knew the antics of the rich and famous firsthand. We were residents of Hollywood, right? We were young 20-somethings, and a lot of us would go to Hyde, go to Joseph's on a Wednesday night, where you'd see Britney and you'd see, you know, Kevin Federline, or you'd see Justin, or you'd, you know, you'd see these celebrities. And so this is where we lived and worked in this town. Jen Aniston doesn't talk when she comes out of a restaurant, but you know who does? Brandon Davis. And you know what he does? Says a lot of shit on Lindsay Lohan, which becomes internet gold. Brandon Davis is a great example of the kind of non-celebrity or D-list celebrity that TMZ helped make actually famous. Here's Ben Whittacombe, who worked for a time as TMZ's managing editor. 
Brandon Davis's grandfather was a man named Marvin Davis. He was a, a Denver oil man. He is reputedly the person in the family on whom the original dynasty was based. Because very rich people tend to befriend each other, Brandon was family friends with the Hilton sisters, Nikki and Paris. They clubbed together in Hollywood all the time. Again, the team's videographer crew would follow them down the street, and they felt compelled to say stuff. There was this pressure to deliver content. Um, and his infamous remark, because the gang was feuding with Lindsay Lohan at the time, was that he called her a fire crotch. This was May 17, 2006, a day that will live in infamy, half a year after TMZ's launch. The rant is so vulgar that, honestly, fire crotch is one of the cleaner things said. Davis, who bears a vague resemblance to Elvis during his peanut butter and banana sandwich phase, also threw in some racist stuff about Wilmer Valderrama being in a mariachi band. Meanwhile, Paris and Nikki giggle uproariously at everything he's saying. A few years later, Ben told me that he had lunch with Brandon's grandmother, a grand dame sort of lady. I was kind of dreading her asking me what I did for a living because I didn't want to tell this very grand society lady, TMZ. And when it finally came up and I said, well, Barbara, I'm the managing editor of TMZ, she said, oh, I love TMZ. I look at it to see where my grandchildren are. Though it became incredibly Streets of Hollywood-centric, the celebrity internet as you have come to know it, Perez Hilton, TMZ, started in the cloistered post-9-11 world of fashion and media in New York City. Ben Whittacombe might just be the progenitor of all the celebrity blogs that were to come. He's worth a reintroduction with that in mind. My name is Ben Whittacombe. Uh, I am Australian, but I have lived in New York City for 23 years now. I started out as one of the very first online-only gossip columnists in the late 1990s. In 1998, Ben and his then-boyfriend, Horatio Silva, started the fashion gossip blog, Chic Happens. Most Americans weren't regular internet users back then, but New Yorkers in media sure were. They loved Ben and Horatio's dish. They served up blind items and antics and went to all the New York parties where pretty people did ugly things. And they knew everyone else in the gossip business. You know, I was friends with, with Perez when he was still Mario, working at Star Magazine, uh, doing page666.com was his first blog, but page six of the post came after him for, um, you know, copyright infringement, so he, he changed that. Um, and I was friendly with Nick Denton before he uh, launched Gawker. So yes, self-aggrandizing as it may be, I do think that Chic Happens influenced both of those blogs. By the way, Ben's book, Gatecrasher, is a smart, dishy look at his many years in the gossip trenches. I recommend. Gossip was a very New York City business for a very long time. And in the gossip hierarchy of the early 2000s, Richard Johnson's Page Six was the top dog. It had newspaper money, which meant something back then, and loved to sink into bit characters. Remember PR girl Lizzie Grubman? There's no way an Ohio teenager like me should have known who she was, and yet I totally did. She was the woman who backed her Mercedes SUV into a crowd outside of a Hamptons nightclub in a fit of peak in 2001. Ben and Horatio were cool NYC cult faves, as was Perez at first. Nick Denton's Gawker, which started in 2002, gained an early digital gossip foothold, particularly with its navel-gazing chronicles of New York media types. Us Weekly and People had their main offices in New York, and it was heady times, 
The money was flowing, and the New York scene was very much popping. Here's Jared Shapiro, who was at Bonnie Fuller's Us Weekly. One of my best friends was a publicist for, like, Louis Vuitton and Hennessy. So, like, they, at the time, they had to spend a certain amount of money on, like, nightlife. So he would have, like, a $10,000 expense account where he had to just book a couple Escalades and take friends out, you know, writers from Us Weekly or the New York Post or... Um, where at GQ, and you would just go to dinner, right? I mean, I, I, God, I don't even remember where the dinners were. I mean, I remember the Waverly was hot, but that was more closer to the end. You go to dinners, and, um, and then you, yeah, you go to the clubs. It's Butter, it's Marquee, it's towards the end. It was Ten June, One Oak, uh, Bungalow Eight, and the tabloid writers were writing about the New York scene, the hottest drink at the hottest club, and which famous person got drunk on it. When TMZ came around, it upset the gossip ecosystem in a couple of ways. One was all business. It made the need to get online seem all the more urgent. But the other was cultural. New York no longer reigned supreme in gossip. Harvey and his young citizens of Hollywood were chronicling their own scene, just the way Ben Whittacombe and the other New York bloggers had. It's just that TMZ had corporate money, a bigger internet presence, and lots of cameras. They became both loved and feared by Hollywood denizens, but very much part of the L.A. scene, just as reporters like Jared Shapiro had been in New York. Dax Holt again. And I remember we went to Villa once, and we cracked open a bottle of champagne, poured glasses, and Leonardo DiCaprio walked in. And he walked past us, went to his booth, and I would say about... 45 seconds later, we were being ushered out of the club. (laughs) Other celebrities adapted. And then on the opposite side of that, I do remember being at Katsuya with Max again, and we're having dinner, and in walks John Mayer. And instead of kicking us out, John Mayer pulls up a chair and has shots with us. The other thing TMZ had in its corner was the zeitgeist that magazines like Us Weekly had helped create. People were more interested in Hollywood stars than ever before because of the dogged, juicy reporting that Us was doing. TMZ and its cameras were also coming at a time when reality TV was huge, particularly shows that opened a door into the private lives of celebs. More on that in a future episode. People were interested in knowing the real story of what was happening behind the velvet ropes. They'd been primed for it. Bonnie Fuller and Janice Min trained readers to see Hollywood stripped of some of its red carpet glamour, with features like stars, they're just like us. TMZ and other digital celebrity media like Perez Hilton or blogs like Lainey Louise seemed to commonly understand that celebrities were just waiting to be toppled from their pedestals. Publications like Us Weekly were jolted by the understanding that they needed to contend with a new, powerful force. Here's Min in 2007 talking about the challenges of the Internet for magazines like Us Weekly. You know, for us, one of the challenges with the web is um, that the dialogue on the web um, that people are accustomed to now is so much coarser than you would expect in a magazine. Um, So it's trying to figure out the tone, trying to figure out how to be competitive with um, the craziness of the internet where you have a thousand fake celebrity stories or stories period generating at any point. It wasn't really until mid-2006 
that Us started doing anything other than plopping the cover of that week's magazine onto their website. Bonnie Fuller, whose star magazine had fired a young blogging Perez Hilton, would get into the web game later, in 2009, with Hollywood Life. All the while, Perez Hilton was operating at full manic tilt, and TMZ was basically doing an amped-up version of what Us Weekly had innovated in the celebrity space. Aggressive news reporting on celebrities. But again, with the speed of the internet behind it, and a little less decorum in the way that they wrote and went about things. Here's Levin speaking to students at the University of Chicago in 2010 about how he thought of that lack of decorum. Before we came along, publicists ran Hollywood. And they could tell every, every entertainment show in town, every magazine in town, here's what you're going to print. This may be a lie, but if you want so-and-so for the next interview, this is what you're going to say. And they were all lemmings, and they all did it. And it was, you know, no one was the wiser. And Hollywood was built on lies. Levin goes on to talk about how TMZ doesn't want interviews and thus isn't beholden to the old rules. TMZ became a must-read for so many people, including Brandon Davis's grandmother, because it mixed vapid videos like Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian cutting Tara Reid in line at a nightclub with actual investigative, and often unflattering, reporting on celebrities. TMZ's July 2006 report that Mel Gibson had gone on a sexist and anti-Semitic rant after being arrested for drunk driving in Malibu and that the police department had tried to sanitize its report was huge news and a pivotal moment for the site's reputation. I got a call from a major network, you can, you know, there's only a couple of them, who said, you know, we need to know your sources before we will publish this story. Traditional news organizations weren't sure what to make of this new site that covered Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan and was owned by Warner Brothers. It made the site feel a little like the publicity arm of the studio to some people. In the early days, TMZ reporters, many of whom had no journalism experience, even identified themselves over the phone as being from TMZ, which is a partnership between AOL and Warner Brothers. Jillian, who was working to get the still new site attention, was eager to book Harvey on national TV hits around the Mel Gibson story. But he said he wouldn't break the Journalism 101 code of never revealing a source. Harvey was like, no, you know, A, we don't give our sources. And I was like, I know, but, you know, they won't run it and their standards won't let them just attribute us because we weren't an AP or a Reuters. They would have done that all day with another brand, but we were this upstart website. And um, Harvey was like, then let them not publish it. They'll be the only ones who aren't. This is, we have the story. The four pages are on, the actual documents are on the website. This is not something that we're getting from a source. This is confirmed. This is what happened. This, these are the, is the document. One also wonders if there wasn't a little New York media skepticism for Levin because he wasn't entirely a known entity. He'd come up in television, not print. And he was a West Coast guy. Levin certainly fostered a relentless work attitude in his newsroom. There was an expectation you couldn't take no for an answer or come back empty-handed. What TMZ became was the page six for everywhere in the country except for the five boroughs of New York City. And having literally answered the phone at both places, I can tell you that if anyone in New York City has a tip, they call page six. If anyone uh, in the other 99.9% of the country has a tip, they call TMZ. Anna Nicole Smith's February 2007 death 
stood out to Jillian as a story that exemplified TMZ's all-hands-on-deck approach and increasing relevance to the broader news ecosystem. Everybody in the newsroom stopped down from anything else that they were doing, and we all just started making phone calls. It was phone calls to um, anybody we could think of in Hollywood, Florida, where she was at the time at the Hard Rock um, Hotel and Casino, um, to hospitals, to, you know, there was your standard, let's call um, police, let's call fire, let's call it, you know, that you, but then it was just calling people in the hospital gift shop. They started posting time-stamped updates as they got new information. What time Smith had been administered CPR, the fact that she'd been feeling under the weather all week, reactions from attorneys and family members. Since celebrity stories had become enmeshed in mainstream news coverage, particularly on TV, these kinds of urgent updates kept people glued to the site. Outlets like the New York Times now use this kind of rolling reporting to update breaking stories. By the time Michael Jackson died in 2009, and TMZ was the first to break the story, there seemed to be a certain consensus that the site was, for better or worse, officially part of the American news ecosystem. By dint of the country's interest in celebrity and TMZ's long reach, traditional media had been forced to accept them. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay authenticity guarantee, you can trust that feeling of reels always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Though mainstream news outlets had begrudgingly accepted TMZ, they still had a right to be skeptical of the site. While it began to invade the news-breaking space of traditional media, it retained tabloid trappings. I asked Dax about this. Does TMZ or did TMZ pay for tips? Or like, I've had people say like, well, 
one of the reasons why they changed the game is because they literally just had so many people who were tipsters on the payroll. No, we don't pay for tips. You pay for photos or videos or assets. But no, you don't you don't ever pay for tips because that will sink an industry real fast because then you have people tipping. And, and trust me, I know because that was that was my gig. I was the person handing out money to people. And so, no, it wasn't you. Ne- you never pay for tips because then people will come up with crazy stories and invent stuff just to make money. Let's break down what Dax is saying there, since a lot of ink has been spilled over TMZ's sourcing. Paying for photos is something that traditional print celebrity magazines always did, or videos in the case of celebrity television shows. TMZ pays for both, including the very famous Beyonce, Solange, and Jay-Z in an elevator video. The New Yorker reported in 2016 that TMZ had paid about $5,000 for that tape. We talked about that dynamic on episode two, how even if a magazine wasn't directly paying off people for tips on where celebrities might be, they were paying people who themselves might have been paying people to get the information, namely photographers and paparazzi agencies. A magazine was one step removed from the ethically dubious thing, but they were still benefiting from the information. Another thing to remember is that TMZ wasn't just getting photos from paparazzi. They were getting them from regular people, too. And a lot of times, those people had jobs in government or medicine where it's pretty unethical to leak personal information. Mainstream journalists definitely receive documents that aren't intended for the public's eyes. But they'll typically only publish those documents or information if they're deemed to have relevance to the greater public good. But for tabloids and TMZ... It just has to be juicy and about a famous person. Take the case of the photo of Rihanna's face after Chris Brown punched her and slammed her head into a car dashboard. TMZ published that photo, which was an official LAPD file photo. An investigation into two cops continued for three years, but they were never charged. The department couldn't find payments in either officer's bank account. I should note here that cash payments exist, and in 2014, BuzzFeed reported an incidence of TMZ staffers being asked to take out cash from ATMs to pay for a video of comedian Michael Richards saying the N-word in a stand-up set. But Dax referencing paying for assets is a little different from photos, and purposefully opaque, I think. What could assets actually mean? Documents seems a likely answer. TMZ is notoriously well-sourced in the legal world and has a lot of courthouse sources. There's been speculation for years that there were bribes happening in the Los Angeles County Superior Courthouse. In 2010, the court spokesman was fired on the grounds that he was leaking to TMZ. In 2008, he had hired a TMZ reporter to be his deputy, and she later went back to working for the site. A worker at the famous Betty Ford Clinic told Radar Online in 2010 that she'd been paid at least $10,000 by TMZ for an interview and photos of injuries that she'd reportedly sustained when clinic patient Lindsay Lohan attacked her. The worker, who was fired, later told the New York Times that she had been paid via her lawyer, Keith Davidson, who had TMZ connections. Davidson told the Times he couldn't talk about the case. Keith Davidson was later Stormy Daniels' lawyer. She sued him in 2018 
for being a puppet of Donald Trump's attorney, Michael Cohen, who was trying to get Daniels to do a Sean Hannity interview denying that she'd ever had sex with Donald Trump. At the time, a spokesman for Davidson called it an outrageously frivolous lawsuit. It's a tangled, salacious web. But there are also serious ethical questions to consider here, particularly in the case of, say, domestic violence. Mainstream outlets like newspapers tend to try to protect the identities of survivors of sexual or domestic violence, unless otherwise directed by the survivor. TMZ definitely threw a lot of that to the side in its gusto to report on celebrities like Rihanna, or later, the NFL star Ray Rice, who punched his fiancée in an elevator, a moment captured on video and later published on TMZ. I asked Jillian Sheldon, who left TMZ in late 2008, if she thought the site had engaged in any journalistically untoward behavior. There were things that came to the office over the years, and this started at Celebrity Justice, that were clearly stolen. Straight up stolen. Medical records, legal document, confidential legal documents. And that was a line that Harvey never crossed when I was there. Never. And there was stuff that we would, that he would get delivered in random envelopes and, um, and random phone calls that he was just like, this is not anything we wanted to touch. So, um, Paying for interviews, we never did. That was, you know, he, as a journalist, that was something that, you know, tabloid news did. A National Enquirer, The Sun, that, you know, um, that was a line that he felt there was those and then where we were. We were a legitimate news organization. We just delivered news in a different way, in a different format. Do you you have a sense it changed after you left? Um, I think, yes. I think competition, um, but I also think that, you know, things... Um, I, you know, I, I left and I don't know. Um, I've heard stories from people that I used to work with that, um, you know, don't work there anymore. It's totally plausible that there was a point at which something flipped at TMZ. Jillian and Dax are both defensive of TMZ's reporting ethos. And I think it's true that the newsroom was actually hardworking and good at shoe leather reporting. I also think it's possible that Jillian wasn't entirely in the loop. She says at a certain point, she started to feel pushed out by Levin, with whom she had been close. Dax stayed at TMZ until 2016 and remains on good terms with Levin, who is notoriously vindictive. Levin declined to talk for this podcast, and TMZ didn't return our request for comment. The mainstream, non-tabloid media's obsession with TMZ and its sourcing and ethics has been long-standing. What's interesting to me is that the way TMZ operates is not at all new in the ecosystem of the tabloids. What did change is that mainstream news outlets found themselves beholden to TMZ. They had to credit them for breaking stories first or had to use the documents or videos or photos TMZ had obtained. They didn't feel great about that, understandably. I myself think it's unethical to pay for stories. And during the course of reporting this podcast, I've been asked by people to pay for an interview. That's not the kind of journalism I do. As a sort of counterpoint, Jillian said there's soft corruption in parts of the mainstream media that don't get nearly as much scrutiny as TMZ does. 
the morning show wars are real and booking guests. Oh, well, we'll fly you to New York. Well, we'll fly you first class. Well, we'll fly you um, on a private jet. And oh, well, I don't know if you can wear that outfit on our show. Let's take you shopping. Um, and we will, your family should come too. We'll put you up at this hotel. That's not paying for information, but. Some of the site's notoriety also comes from the reputation of its workplace culture, which is not good. Some former employees attribute that to Harvey Levin's managerial style. Um, I don't know. Look, he's, he's a very different person um, in real life than the, the camera persona. Uh, and he's tough and very successful. And um, he, uh, you know, he runs a very tight ship. Um, and a lot of people don't like that. Uh, and there are, um, there's been very unhappy stuff there. Levin, who famously wakes up in the middle of the night to work out before an early morning call time, is known for how much he pushes his staff. How is he different when he's not in front of the camera? Well, again, I think that's um, uh, anything that I had uh, privy to by working in the office, I would say, was probably covered by my NDA. But I would just say that that he's a very effective guy uh, and he works his staff very hard. And, um, you know, some people feel that they work too hard. It's not just that TMZ works its staff hard, although even Dax said that the workload was a big reason why he left after 12 years. Jillian felt like the site got a little bro-y as it evolved, and that it could be particularly cruel to women, even by mid-aughts standards. When you're trying to feed that beast, corners get cut, you know, and uh, things go up. And what I started to realize now, you know, this is my experience personally, um, was that we started to go for the easy joke. And it was just like, you know, these dick jokes or, you know, things that people would write about women's weight. Or I, one time in particular, I got into an argument um, with the newsroom, mostly with, you know, with Harvey and and a couple of the other senior level men, because I I was one of the very few women in in a management level at that point, uh, about comparing Aretha Franklin to the talking trash heap on the Fraggle, on Fraggle Rock, if you remember Fraggle Rock from being a kid. Jillian said things like that accumulated over time. By the way, the broiness might have been perversely good for business. While many publications or shows in the entertainment space had a traditionally female audience, TMZ was bringing more and more men to its site. And it felt like I was constantly, I sounded like, you know, a shrew a bit, like, we can't this. We can't do this. And I can see how in a newsroom, you know, nobody wants that. And, and it started to, be, I felt like I, I started to become like, you know, the culture police. And I hated that. Jillian felt like her standing in the newsroom changed, particularly with Harvey. The arguments became more frequent. My relationship with Harvey started to break down. She still finds herself with complicated feelings about Levin who Jillian calls smart and hardworking. And there are certain things that he would say that, um, you know, and certain things that he said to me um, were hurtful. But then the next day, you know, we were back at it. And if I did something, you know, I know that sounds sort of Stockholm-y syndrome, but it was true. The paper trail on disgruntled ex-TMZ employees is extensive. 
In 2014, a former TMZ writer, Taryn Hillen, filed a gender discrimination and unlawful termination suit against TMZ Productions. The case was dismissed after arbitration. In 2020, another former employee, Bernadette Zilio, filed a similar complaint and litigation remains pending. In a story following up on the complaint, BuzzFeed reported that Levin had called employees morons and worse. In 2017, the former news desk director for TMZ, Mike Walters, left to form a rival site, The Blast. Reportedly, his departure came after a fight with Levin. The rough environment that the 2000s celebrity internet fostered didn't necessarily transition well to the next decade in any number of ways. TMZ infiltrated mainstream news with its reporting. So what's its legacy? In a lot of ways, the site has had difficulties adapting to the new, social media-heavy era of celebrity news. TMZ certainly still breaks big stories, of course. They broke the news of Prince's death from an overdose in 2016. They broke the news of Tristan Thompson cheating on a pregnant Khloe Kardashian in 2018. But TMZ feels a little stale. It hasn't adapted all that well in the social media spaces. The Shade Room, for instance, has over 25 million followers on Instagram, feeding readers a constant stream of gossip posts, many of them aggregated from Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. As of January, TMZ had only 5.4 million followers on the platform and has largely focused on its TV presence and its spin-off Hollywood star tours, as in bus tours. It's a more old-fashioned media model, perhaps befitting the interests of a 71-year-old Levin, who maintains a tight grip over the site. This, even as some of his early corporate backers have kept a pace with the changing world of digital media. Jim Bankoff, an AOL executive who helped champion and co-found TMZ, is now the head of Vox Media, the owner of brands like New York Magazine, Vox, Eater, Recode, and The Verge. In September 2021, Warner Brothers sold TMZ to Fox for less than $50 million. That's far less than the $100 to $125 million price tag that, according to The Wall Street Journal, had been discussed over the summer, perhaps speaking to TMZ's relative lack of evolution. TMZ and Fox don't exactly make for strange bedfellows. The Murdoch family that owns Fox has long made its money off of tabloid news, and Harvey Levin, who got an Oval Office sit-down with Trump during his presidency, doesn't exactly seem like the type who'd be squeamish about an association with a network that peddles political misinformation. In fact, he put together a Trump special for Fox in November 2016. We went through his home. You even put on a suit for that. I'm put on a suit. Never, and, ever seen you in a suit. And, you know, he was extremely busy, but he carved out time for us. And we have created an hour special um, that is going to air on Fox News Channel Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. It makes you wonder what Fox-owned TMZ's coverage of the 2024 election could look like. It might not be more ethical, but TMZ is sure a lot more fun to watch than CNN. Next time on Just Like Us. Along comes Paris and some of her friends, and they go out every night, and they have a real good time. A real good time. But this time the reaction is quite different. I observed hostility toward them 
to having a real good time. I do think that there was a narrative there about like, what is a good woman? And it's like, she's married. She has a beautiful child and she looks great on the beach. <laughs> like, honestly, like I felt like those were the messaging, you know, she's, she's a certain type of body type that is acceptable. And they'd be like, still looking great at 45 or something as though you're supposed to like, just turn into dust. My feeling having watched her since 98 is that everything that millions of 17 year olds are doing in their bedrooms every week of the year, trying to get a TikTok or a YouTube persona going is whether they know it or not, is following a playbook that Paris Hilton invented um, in about 1999 uh, before the rise of social media. A quick note. In episode three, we misstated the publication date of the Us Weekly photographs that confirmed Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt's relationship. Those photos were published on May 9th, 2005, not April 19th. We have since corrected that error and updated episode three. Just Like Us, The Tabloids That Changed America was written and reported by me, Claire Malone, with story editing by Amanda Dobbins. The show was executive produced by Juliet Littman and Sean Fennessy. Our producers are Amanda Dobbins, Kaya McMullen, and Vikram Patel. Sound design and engineering by Hans Dale Shee. The music is from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Copy editing was done by Craig Gaines and fact-checking by Juliana Ress. Our art director is David Shoemaker, Illustration by Michael Weinstein. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.